0: Hi everybody, welcome to Eat Well, Move Well, episode 11.
1: Hi everybody, we've been off the grid for a while, literally missing in action, and we've been keeping in touch with a lot of you via email and Facebook and in person, and we've been promising to be back, so here we are, and um, we are back every couple of weeks from now on.
0: Finally. So let's talk about a little bit why we were gone, but just real real quick.
1: Real short, it's been a very busy uh, last six months ever since the start of the year. I've been teaching and traveling a lot. I had an unexpected training trip back to Bulgaria where I did a big corporate wellness event that lasted a couple of weeks. Um, I've been teaching for the Restorative Exercise Institute as staff. That has been quite interesting, and I've also been studying really hard uh, with my neurokinetic therapy work, um, and I have taken on a whole new discipline of studying as well that has to do with trauma. So it's been, it seems like it's been a couple of weeks only, but it's been half a year.
0: Yeah, we, also we moved recently. We moved from, we're still in Rancho Santa Margarita, California, but we moved. That took a lot of time finding a new place, settling in, um... But we're enjoying the new place. It's been great. And uh, from on my side, uh, we're working uh, we're working on a couple of new book projects, which is really exciting. One we're excited about because it's a lifestyle change book. That's going to uh, I don't know. It's gonna, I think it's, it has a real good chance of just really revamping people's lifestyle and giving them another way of looking at looking at their life and making small changes um, that are very meaningful over time.
1: Yeah, we're excited about that.
0: The other one that's equally awesome is is because we're excited about it. It's a book about coffee. Just because we love coffee so much. We do love
1: coffee so much. We were just on a small getaway up to Ventura, just north of L.A., and there's a fantastic um, coffee company there that roasts their own coffee called Beacon Coffee. And we just love them. And we just got back from the road and uh, parked the car, unloaded, went for a... um, 90 minute walk in the wilderness park close to home here and then got back and um
0: walked by trader joe's on the way home yeah and uh, got some food. food for the dinner which is cooking as we speak and, and we made some
1: fantastic decaf coffee if you love decaf you know how hard it is to find a good medium roast so we were very very excited made some um, pour over coffee which we don't try to make more fancy than it already is but we love it
0: very good all right so on to the show this is episode 11 and um so we sort of made a list of some of the things we're really excited to talk about and one of the the biggest ones is we're not going to dwell too much on it but um you hopefully you've seen time magazine um time magazine cover recently
1: yeah for june
0: for june it's got a big curl of butter, like a chef would do, you know, with the fancy curl there.
1: It looks so delicious.
0: It's, I'm sure it's very delicious. And um, th- what's so exciting about this is that butter has been demonized or vilified for so many years, since basically since the, the 50s and the 60s. In fact, somebody posted on Facebook a 30-year-old time cover that talked about Saturated the, the, the dangers and evils of saturated fat on their cover. So is the June issue 30 years ago, had bacon and eggs uh, and a frowny face, made into a frowny face, and talked about how uh, saturated fat is what's killing us. So then 30 years later, here's the, the flip side. Finally, somebody in the mainstream media writes an article that talks about how butter has been wrongly accused and saturated fat wrongly accused all these years.
1: It's very interesting because the reason we were bringing this up today is we had a long conversation the other day. I have a, a client who's in her 60s and she has been well raised by her parents, that's in quotations, air quotes, well raised by her parents to eat healthy, lots of fruits and vegetables, minimal fat, minimal animal products, fish and chicken here and there, no red meat. And... um I see her at 7 in the morning, so she's my first client of the day, and she came in and she said, hey, did you see Time's cover? And I said, yes, I did. And she said, I am so frustrated, I am so distraught, and I'm so sick of things being different every week. As soon as I start doing something, somebody comes out saying it's either right or it's wrong, and I have to change it all over again. So what happens if I start eating fat now and five years from now or ten years from now they come out saying that it's bad? And she pretty much had like that little girl look on her face where, you know, you put your, your hands to your ears and you're like, no, 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 no. You know, just don't talk to me. don't, I don't want to hear anything more. And I said, you know what? I understand how you feel. However, I doubt that they're going to ever find that you know, cookies and Twinkies are good for you. So whatever they come out with, I'm sure that sticking to a diet that's pretty close to what nature provides and is minimally processed is always going to be your best bet. Just making sure that you eat enough. But this brings another question: People like like Roland and I, and I'm sure like you, who are interested in in nutrition and fitness, it's no news to you that fat isn't going to kill you. And it's no news to you that you can put butter on your vegetables and on your potatoes. However, people that are not a part of our circle or a part of our industry are still very much unaware of that fact. Even though it's been yeah, it's, it's it. been over 10 years since we've been more open about fat oh, yeah. not being bad the for you.
0: Low fat or the the, the low-fat myth, the, low, the myth that low-fat is healthy... Has, was debunked like 10, 10, 10, 10, 10 12, 12 years, years ago. ago.
1: And I think, what if it's all been a big fat lie? The first big New York Times article, I think it was Gary Tobbs. That's at least 10 years old.
0: But still, so why is McDonald's just coming out with their low-fat um, egg white delight? You know, why do these things keep happening even when these things have been you know, 10, 12 years ago?
1: Well, we went to Fresh and Easy up in Ventura the other day and I wanted to get some Greek yogurt. There was not a single yogurt that had fat in it. Everything was zero. It was all the brands, that whole cooler section. So every now and then we, we get reminded by, by clients and by just people we meet and trips to stores that low fat is alive and well. And it's going to take many, many, many years of talking about the wisdom of traditional diets and um, just bringing bringing more more science to to the mainstream media that has an agenda of some sort.
0: I mean, one of the things she could, I mean, it's it's hard to say. Don't listen to the media because there are some things like this thing that you know was was positive in the media, but even it was just a, just last year Dr. Oz came out and said oh eggs aren't bad You know, so now Dr. Oz like a year ago said eggs, eggs and saturated fat are not bad for you um, but still no one no one really paid much attention because it's, it's just in, it's so ingrained in us that it's going to take a generation to reverse that psychological damage of or brainwashing of this low fat thing and the same thing with with butter. You know, you still, they've talked about how it's been a couple of years where they talked about how trans fats are bad. So let's go back to butter. But they didn't. No one ever went really went back to butter. They just went to trans fat free margarine, mm-hmm. and they just ignored the whole thing. When trans fats were initially banned, people recommended going back to butter, but that was like immediately discounted or lard. Yeah. Yeah, I lards, I want to see lard on the cover of. Uh, yeah, I. W- of I don't know that next. we would ever,
1: you know, want to recommend large amounts of lard just because the omega six content is so high, but it's almost half monounsaturated fats. It's like forty percent monounsaturates.
0: Yeah, I don't know that omega sixes are a big problem in. Because you're not going to eat that much. Foods, you're not going to eat that, that
1: much lard. Much.
0: Yeah, I mean the biggest problem for omega sixes. Challenge accepted. <laughs> <the> biggest problems <laughs> in omega sixes are when you eat tons and tons of our like, salad dressing and all these processed food products that mm-hmm. have it. So even the the omega sixes in you in know in in normal amounts of nuts are not going to cause much of a problem. They're, I don't think they're absorbed the same way as just pure.
1: Sure, because the ratio is so much more skewed when you have refined oils.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, I'm thinking of. You know, going back to my seven o'clock in the morning, very frustrated client, that she's been battling some extra weight for a while. And it seems like she's always, always, always hungry. And when you ask her what fills you up, she says, Well, honestly, if I could have an English breakfast every day, I would be very happy. But I only have it like once every few years because fat is so bad for you. So here you have somebody whose natural. Dro- What's
0: in English breakfast? Is that the beans on toast? You
1: no. You have eggs and bacon, and you have a little bit of beans and a cooked tomato. It's mm. really, good. No, all it right. is really good. It is really good. Sounds alright. But you have somebody whose natural drive is telling them, "Hey, what is satiating to you is protein and a little bit of fat." Mind you, I have clients who are more. Um, Carbivorous, where you know they they wanna have you know they wanna have their whole wheat toast or oatmeal, otherwise they just feel famished eating eggs and bacon, so there's people on both sides of the fence but but here's somebody that really would thrive on a higher protein fat diet and but we would just mind, not un- do in, it in
0: her mind it's unhealthy, yeah,
1: because that's just gonna that's just gonna kill her in the meantime she's got dry skin and you know bad nails and you know, drier hair, so that would be somebody who would benefit from having a little bit more, um, more fats yeah. in her diet and a little bit more protein. Yet, it's impossible to do that because the mental anguish of what's going to happen is, is just very hard to deal with.
0: Mm.
1: And I've been there, mm. I've been there. I, th- I thought my first week on a Higher fat diet. I, I was afraid I was going to, you know, just start rolling down the hill instead of running down the hill in the mornings. But luckily, it was it was great for me. I've been eating a higher fat diet for more than ten years now.
0: Yeah. Well, you guys are sort of on the um, on the, the bleeding edge. You know, we've been talking about you know eating butter and fat for quite some time. So, uh, well, I don't know. What are your experiences? Do you get does your family give you looks do you still does your spouse still come home with country crock or I can't believe it's not butter I can't and, believe
1: that exists
0: uh, I know I know well I grew up on those things and I, I still think they taste really good I mean there's a taste to them sure. they taste really good so you know if some, you know every once in a while if it's there I'll taste it but I've and it took me a while to get back into the taste of butter like my mom every once in a while would splurge and get butter. I think it was mostly for the cost, like, mm. I think because butter is like three times as much as sure. you know, the same amount of margarine i I don't think she was my mom was not she did not believe that low fat she didn't believe in any of that stuff. She was like a real food kind of a person. Her deal was just she was a type one diabetic, so she ate very little carbs. No, um, well, that's not true. She was very careful with her carbs. But she did not really differentiate too much. She was still on the uh, the high carb diabetic. I'm di- I'm rambling on that. I really, don't need to talk about that. We we'll talk about that another time.
1: Yeah, we can have a whole show on diabetes. I yeah. think that your experience with your mom is very very interesting. So to round up the Time um, article, the Time magazine article, the takeaway for us has been, you know, just really a wake up call to how little people know and kind of nudging us and encouraging us to keep that on the forefront and just write about it more, talk about it more, and educate people more. Uh, and if you would like a good book to um, to read on that, um, I have really enjoyed Chris Kressler's Chris uh, Your Personal Paleo Code.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I feel like he does a really good job in his FATS chapter of explaining the function of FATS. Um, and I, I just like him as a writer. I think he's um, he's very approachable, and um, he makes complicated concepts very easy to grasp.
0: Great.
1: Um, and Nourishing Traditions is another book that's a great source. Sally Fallon's Nourishing Traditions for cooking with um, natural fats.
0: That's for there's not much not as much science in no, there. No,
1: that's more for how to prepare food,
0: traditional cooking and eating techniques. Yeah. So that's that is, a, it is a good book.
1: It is, a, is a great book. book.
0: Um, one of the other things that's been in the, the news the last couple of weeks was, in fact, I got people almost like throwing up their hands saying, well, why even bother trying to lose weight or why bother trying to keep my weight under control? Because it's, it's, it's futile. There's no there's no chance.
1: Why bother? Give me the muffins." Yes.
0: There was an article, <laughs> the CBC News, um, it's a news agency up in Canada. I um, know we have some Canadian listeners, so you're probably more familiar. But she, um, this woman wrote an article. It's, um, <clears throat> it's called um, There's No Known Cure for Obesity Except Surgically Shrinking the Stomach. And it got a lot of people really upset because if, if what she's saying is true, which it's not, then what are the chances because you know like why even try to diet why try to eat healthier um she totally it was a very frustrating article for a lot of people that are in the that are on our side of the fence because we've seen so many people succeed the problem was she referred to people who do it on their own there's like there's a couple of different weight loss registries out there and there's some statistics that they ran and they looked at you know how many people you know 5 years after they've lost a significant amount of weight are have still kept it off and the numbers are low but we've been telling you guys that for a while that if you just go on a low calorie diet and or if you just try to exercise more you just try to eat less and you don't do anything to develop the good habits and, and with and proper proper eating proper exercise proper movement um, you are likely to, to, to give up and it's not because the weight loss doesn't work it's because you go back to your old habits for one reason or another it's not laziness it's like we've talked about before I believe and this is my personal opinion on this is that I think it has a lot to do with the the where the psychological and the physiological come together we have these foods that we have been that have been engineered basically over time to stimulate our appetite, stimulate us to keep coming back for more and more to the point where we, we do those things and we end up craving those things. And we, I mean, I hate to say it's not our fault because it's more the fault of the, the food industry. But although once you know that you have that problem, it is your fault to, to take control. But I think a lot of people just don't have it. You know, it's just frustrating to me that, that this person didn't do enough research to find out, well, there are people out there that have been successful. What did they do? All she said was, oh, only 5% of people ever succeed or almost nobody succeeds. And the only way to, to, to have a cure is through bariatric surgery. And the part that makes you know makes you realize that she's wrong is that if you look at people who've had bariatric surgery, a huge amount of them become obese again later. So if she can't even get that right, how do do we consider the rest of this article to be right?
1: Well, there's a percentage of people that are hoping that there is no help out there. And I'm I'm saying this with a lot of empathy, uh, because I know how hard it is to try over and over and over and over again. And you know it's like that metaphor Where it doesn't matter how hard you row your boat If you're rowing in the wrong direction You're still not going to get where you want to get But they've been frustrated so many times And they've tried so many times They're almost hoping that there's something out there That explains why they have been unsuccessful In some sort of a statistical horror film type of way Because then everything they've done is right and then there's some cosmic power out there that's not allowing them to succeed. Where in fact, obesity is an extremely complicated, extremely complicated condition to resolve, and it takes many, many years and a lot of work to, you know, get through that. You've done it. I don't yes. know if you were technically obese. I was obese. obese. I, I do believe at 275, you were there.
0: Um, I'd have to look and see whether I was grossly obese but I was definitely morbidly, morbidly yeah, yeah. Gross, it was gross but I was definitely definitely in the obese category and here it is it's almost 13 years later and you know I've kept it off all this time and I mean you live with me it's not it's not I'm not challenged to keep the weight off
1: you're not however your lifestyle is extremely different from what it was before Yes. You, you walk five, six miles a day. You wear a pedometer to make sure that you walk. You have a stand-up workstation. You've switched to minimal footwear. You you stretch. You studied restorative exercise. You had jambalaya for lunch, and you didn't get, you know, cornbread with it. And, you know, you had a coffee, not a coffee drink, just before, before dinner. And you're going to have some chicken and arugula and steamed carrots in just a little bit so that is a very different behavior from what you would have done 10 or 12 or 15 years ago each of your cells is getting completely different information your genetic information is different
0: what i also share is that if i would continue would have continued to do the things that i did to lose the weight initially i probably would have not succeeded but, because what I did was I counted, I ate the exact same foods that I did before. Just less. But just less of them. And I counted calories and I ran a lot. <laughs> so, and so when I tracked things and when my weight loss slowed, I either ran more or I ate less. And, you know, I continue on forever. And I realized, um, I actually have a blog post I'm getting ready to click publish on, but I need you to take a look at it. Um, that I had somebody back then who was mentoring me and coaching me who kind of got me through because I got frustrated. And he said to me basically, well, what is your next plan? Like, you, here's your plan that you've been going on. Now you're frustrated and you're ready to give up. What is your next plan? I'm like, ah, wait, I don't really get that. So he, he basically told me, you know, you, you have to do your research. You have to study and you have to look ahead before you decide to just stop doing what you're doing, you want to come up with your next plan. Because he reminded me, you know, how many times before have you lost weight and, and given up or got frustrated and, and put the back, weight back on? And I said dozens of times. And he said, how hard is it to start again? Well, you know, like, starting again is so much harder than continuing on. And it wasn't that my plan wasn't working. It was just frustrating because it was I was hungry and you know it wasn't working like I wanted it to work. And I was starting to get tired of counting calories. And so I did my research and I found something else to try. And I went straight from one program to the other one and I was successful. And that's sort of my, been my philosophy ever since. Always have the next plan.
1: I'm working with somebody who has been steadily, she's female, late 50s. And she's been steadily losing weight over the last year. She's lost close to 60 pounds. She's been overweight her whole life. Really cool lady. And um, she saw me in December, and she had never weight trained, ever. And she was, her physical ability to do anything was really, really, really minimal. It was, I mean, there was no way she could even do a bodyweight squat it was like crumble back to the ground um, sort of stuff. We tried a side kneeling plank and, you know, she, she just crumbled and she said, there's no way I'm ever going to do this. So I've only been seeing her once a week for the last six months and she's able to do incredible stuff right now with her body and she's doing body weight pushups. She's doing, you know, 20 body weight squats. She's doing walking lunges and uh, she's gaining muscle and her weight loss is just amazing, she just keeps losing weight but if she hadn't met me I don't think that you know, she she could have just kept losing weight just counting calories because you just get to this point where it's not enough to keep doing the same thing, so you not only have to be consistent but you have to be getting consistently smarter at what you're doing so you can't just have a, a plan and hope that it's going to solve your weight issue for the next 10 years. You're looking at the rest of your life learning and modifying and figuring out what you need to focus on. Because at one point it may be counting calories, at a different point it may be figuring out your gut health, figuring yeah. out an allergy.
0: It, well, they say that the, the the best diet is the one that you can stick to, and that's true. But you always have to be prepared. because. You maybe you feel at one point you're going to feel like you're not going to be able to stick to it. I know plenty of people who love the South Beach diet mm-hmm. and then, after a few years they kind of got tired of it and they just drifted away from it without having another like another plan and they think oh i'm fine i've learned enough but then you know a couple of years later they've gained a, a significant amount of the weight back if they would have modified their plan and had a way to Well, here's my thing. You say I've made all these changes, which is true, but the one that I always think is the two is one, have an X plan, but the other one, all those other things aside, the tracking my, or the the, the Fitbit or the pedometer, all that kind of stuff, um, the one that I find is I keep a log every month of my fitness progress or my fitness status. So I have a reminder on my calendar, do your fitness check. And I go and I check myself against last month and what my expectations are and that's the time when I notice it's a it's a reminder right there on my phone and on my desktop on my calendar that says hey is your weight creeping up from last month Mm. um is your pants still fit you know or how's your belt loop you know how's your belt hole is have you is, is it getting tighter those are the things and if it is you catch it before it becomes a problem and then you decide, oh, i got to make a small change to get things back in control.
1: Yeah. I noticed that a lot of people who know that their weight um, has crept up, they won't weigh themselves. And, you know, we, we've talked a lot about why the scale is not a great measurement tool for progress. However, the weight, the scale is a great measurement tool for you getting fatter. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm sorry if you're not on like a bodybuilding bulking program. You are probably gaining yeah. some fat.
0: Yeah, I don't really care how much I weigh, but I still weigh myself because it's like one thing. So I weigh myself, and then have, if my weight has gone up,
1: take pictures. If then you then I look to. in the
0: mirror, I take a picture. Um, I'm am working with somebody who um, who he was. He's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm pretty lean. And um, looking in the mirror, and then he took pictures of himself, and then like looked at the pictures, and he's like, oh. I guess I'm not, you know, I'm not mean. I guess when I look in the mirror, it's different because I see that every day. But when I see the pictures, there's a big change. And when I look at the pictures from last year, I see that it has changed a lot. Absolutely. I've waited too long.
1: Absolutely. You have to stay on track and you have to weigh yourself. Refusing to look at the number on the scale. I have clients that will ask me, can you just weigh me and you just write down the number and then when it's down, you tell me, sure, I'll do that because, you know, I'll, I'll work with where they are in their journey but you have to look at your credit card statement and you have to look at your scale and um, you know if your meal is burning you have to turn off the gas there's there's things that you can pretend are not happening um, or you can just face them and see what's the best way to to fix them and maybe it's not 100% fixable but is it 60% fixable and is 60% worth it to you?
0: The, the time to notice that there's a problem and make a small change is when you've gained two or three or four pounds or you've, you, you went from your normal belt loop and it's now it's gotten a little tight now you kind of have to move to the next loose, looser belt loop. Well, that, that might take a few weeks to fix. But if you had to buy a new belt or you've gained 15, 20 pounds, that's like several months of, of fixing.
1: That is a lot. and And, and
0: that was the commitment that I made to myself. When I started my first log, I think it was in 2006 was when I made my, I'll have to look it up. I made my first log entry and I've kept one, I have one for every year ever since. So 2007, eight years, um, I think I have maybe 2004. I'll have to look that up. It's, I'm, now I'm curious. But that was a commitment I made to myself. I'm not going to, I don't want to gain weight again, gain the weight back again. And I want to be super restrictive to myself. But I just want a way, one way to sort of check my progress every month before it gets too far. Yeah, and it's worked really well. I've had a, lots of different styles of diet and exercise and training and different sub-goals. But that that method has always worked well.
1: Yeah, very cool. Do you feel like we, uh, we talked enough about yeah. not, a, not being able to keep the weight off?
0: Yeah, you can keep the weight off. You can. You just have to find a way that works for you. And then if that doesn't keep working for you, you just modify it. or Find another way.
1: And I Work think with a coach. I th- That's yes. a great way to do it. I was going to say working with a coach or having a group of people or a support network can be very, very beneficial. In those last six months we haven't podcasted, we did a six-week um, group weight loss session for a church oh yeah and that went fantastic and we had so much fun and just having people support each other was really really wonderful
0: and you know all of those people in that group they all got together we talked we helped them all and but if you ask them what their dietary what their diet is like I'll bet they would all say something slightly different because they all found something that works for them and from the first week to the sixth week they've each one has modified it a little bit and found a way that works for them so you just take that into longer
1: it was really really cool
0: I do uh, um, I work with a team of men at Precision Nutrition and you know I I see all of their questions and they they email and they post on Facebook and all the different things they all eat different things they all have found what works for them and they're all doing great and some of them started off really strict at the beginning and now they're kind of relaxed and they're doing even better in this more relaxed way Mm -hmm. so the key is to keep is just to keep kind of keep go with the flow yep yeah.
1: yeah. that's a that's a good way to yeah, uh, yeah.
0: so around it I saw you reading a book that I got for my uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. that I got for my birthday yes right okay and um, I've wanted this book for a long time I'm a big fan of uh, Denise Minger and um so I got one of this book for my birthday. I got it. And now you're reading it instead of me.
1: Yes. I stole so tell it. Tell me about this book. I stole it from my. But don't ruin the ending. Your side of the bed. I am halfway through the book. So there's no way I can ruin the the ending. But I have to say that Death by Food Pyramid. Don't don't let the title uh, make you think that it's all going to be about the food pyramid it is a fantastic book. Denise Minker is a great writer. I don't know if anybody ghost wrote with her, or this is all her, but I just love her style. I think her based on her, style.
0: I've read a lot of her blog it's posts. It's very similar to her blog posts. Yeah.
1: She's so witty, and her metaphors are just, you just crack up. She's amazing. Um, and she's a girl. Girl power. There's so many, there's so few girl authors, and especially so young. I really, really like her. Um, But pretty much the book takes you through the history of everything you believe about food and how it came to be. about the whole food politics and and who pulled the rug in what direction.
0: You know, I I really get. I mean, there's a lot of food politic books that are totally slanted in one direction or the mm. other. And the reason that I wanted this book was because she has she um, debunked the China study, which is the the pro vegan and vegetarian um, study and book. But she also talks wrote quite a bit about debunking the, um, the myth of Ansel Keys, um,
1: saturated fat,
0: saturated fat, where, um, a lot of people in the paleo low carb community bl- blame Ansel Keys for a, a significant, for but, like, eh, the problem with the, 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 the low fat mantra from the seventies.
1: Yeah. It's not entirely true.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, they've taken this and they they've some of these things and they make it they imply that he did it on purpose yeah. and that's the thing and that's the thing that kind of really bothers me um, I don't know that the guy who wrote uh, T. Colin Campbell who wrote the China study did all these things on purpose they peep, or Derry Tobbs, he makes some mistakes he makes some assumptions he make, does he do them on purpose and I don't know and I don't think so and it's I think it's a mistake to, to think that these people do things on purpose well. they have beliefs and maybe they make mistakes um, but Denise Minger has always been very honest, even when um, when it doesn't meet with her agenda. Like if she has a point of view that she believes in, she's more than willing to throw out this you know, to show us the study where it doesn't fit.
1: She's very, very open about it. She spends quite a quite a bit of um, of time talking about Keys and the fact that he never really openly said that saturated fat yeah. raises cholesterol. So he said that you know you need to we need to look more into it. So he pretty much left it open. Um, and then um, he had a mortal enemy Jotkin, that his whole agenda was proving that sugar was bad and caused heart disease. So they had these two opposing camps and apparently hated each other quite a bit um, and attacked each other in scientific papers. So there's two very bright men with opposing agendas. Uh, skewing the research whichever way they wanted to 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 fix their um their goal, and you know at the end of the day we just we just want the truth to come out and uh, maybe there is not one truth, um, but I highly doubt it that um you know the sixties and the seventies are here to stay.
0: Yes, so you recommend this book? I
1: highly recommend the book. I think it's fantastic. Um, I'm actually reading this book the correct way, front to back. So I really don't know what's in the in the second half. So maybe in the next uh, podcast I'll let you know because I'll be done with it.
0: Very good. Very good. Okay. Um, a few more minutes left. Um, we recently, one of the things that uh, we talked about earlier was the fitness summit. We came back from uh, uh, Kansas City where we spoke at the fitness summit, second year in a row.
1: Yeah, I don't think we mentioned it. We didn't, but that's one of the things we did in the last six months. That yes, right, right between moving and donating our couch. Yes, um, right, right in that, (laughs) right in that week. Yes. Um, So uh, I spoke about my topic was called creating awareness for fitness, and those of you who know me or who work with me in some capacity know that I teach um, whole body alignment, um, also known as restorative exercise, which is a modality that helps you kind of return your body to its biomechanical defaults, and it teaches you how to not overuse your body, how to get out of some uh, very damaging patterns of using your body, and how to, in the end, have a better functioning organism and cells that regenerate fully uh, with their full genetic capacity. Um, and, um, it, it's kind of hard when I have kind of stepped out of the fitness realm a little bit in the last few years and have, uh, undertaken more of a health, um, realm approach to movement. And, um, there's not that many people that are trying to bridge the gap between moving for health and moving for fitness. And, um, in the fitness industry, there's, you know, there's a, a dark side to everything. Nobody talks about their low back pain and their um, urinary incontinence. Well, CrossFit is proud to have T-shirts that show you peeing yourself, but you know, most fitness professionals don't come out and talk about the numbers that their clients are pulling, but also um, their problems. But as somebody who consults fitness professionals all the time, because they reach out to me when they're in pain. I can tell you that they're in more pain than my sedentary clients. And my goal is to, to reach out to trainers and professionals and, and really show them that you don't have to sacrifice your fitness, but you can train smarter. So my my presentation was pretty much showing common ways that um, people cheat in their exercises or use their body inefficiently in, in their exercises to get to the 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 qua the qualitative goal of lifting a certain number or doing a certain number of reps or running a certain distance, uh, however compromising the the quality of of how they do it. So um, typical things would be um, if you're doing a pull up, lifting your chin up and overextending your neck, um, or squatting and um, thrusting your ribcage forward and creating a big curve in your lumbar spine or doing those two things at the same time, yanking your chin up and thrusting your ribcage. That's a thats a pretty one. Um, and also even in exercises that are meant to uh, prepare you for healthy movement, things like doing a glute bridge or a bird dog, um, just people having no control of their ribcage and going into lumbar hyperextension or or a single vertebral shear and translation forward it's just simple things where um, n- most trainers aren't trained to see that uh, there's nobody who teaches you to look for that um, and it it has certainly taken me many years to develop the eye to be able to see those compensations when they come so my goal has been to just um, teach trainers smarter ways to be able to see correct and guide their clients in a more healthy direction
0: Very good. It was it was a great
1: talk. I thought it was a great talk, but you know, who doesn't like to listen to themselves talk?
0: (laughs) Uh, Okay, so my turn then, right? So I also spoke at the fitness summit, and I talked about uh, how um, your life, your time outside of the gym, is messing up your time in the gym. So we all have 168 hours in the day. In and the week. In the week, thank you. I wish it was Rhino. a day. Rhino. Wish it was a day.
1: 168 hours Everyone in a week,
0: walk. and we spend four to five hours of that, um, four to five hours of that in the gym, um, if we're lucky. And people have a tendency to think that that's enough. So I wanted to teach the people who are in the um, people who are training people and people who are fitness enthusiasts things that they can do to make their gym time um, gym time more enjoyable and more productive so by changing some, some things in the rest of their life. So we've covered the, some of the things that we've talked about here um, stand-up workstations um, um, moving around more during the day during I mean most people are sedentary and at in the desk position. So just getting into a stand-up position, sitting on a ball, sitting and standing, moving back and forth, getting up every thirty minutes, and to walk around—all are great ways to do uh, to do that and change things. I also talked a lot about um, changing shoes in the uh, in the gym. Uh, having a, a pretty tall heel on your shoe can actually improve your performance in the gym. It can help you squat heavier, uh, squat better. Uh, but when you are outside of the gym, that heel is slowly but surely shortening your calf, making your um, re- reducing your dorsiflexion, and um, compromising the time that you're going to actually spend back in the gym. So we talked about that, um, getting into lower heeled Shoes in the rest of your life, and even walking barefoot. So we talked about the importance of walking um, barefoot. We talked
1: about more. stand-up workstations, workstation, sleep,
0: sleep. Um, yeah, I mean, we did the, we sort of did the math on how most people Overeating. spend their day, and how um, and how uh, our ancestors um, spent their days quite a bit um, uh, differently than us, and how they had not that they were always um, awesome. But um, the odds were that they were more awesome from a physical, um, physical health perspective, is, from a movement quality
1: perspective. Well, they just needed to move to survive. We don't, we don't need <clears throat> to move to get food.
0: They moved around just from a movement perspective. Our ancestors move, and even um, our primitive cultures today, they move um, almost twice as much as we move. Yeah, on a, on a daily basis, and that's not just walking or exercise. That is, if you strap a pedometer on them and you see the kind of work they do around the house or around the village, um, they do twice as much as we do around our house. So just by moving more, whether it's cleaning, yard work,
1: well, and think walking about to
0: the, and walking th- to the store.
1: And think about your, you know, your lawnmower or your weeder or in your dishwashing machine and your. Um, automatic washing machine all these things that we have that were all done by hand yeah the last time i had to do any hand washing my forearms exploded it's it's just we're so not we're so not used to to doing those things anymore going to the river or yeah. you know taking a rug and shaking it off that's yeah. all a lot of energy like that study with the maids that we've talked about oh, before yeah. mm-hmm. um it's uh, really funny that you talked about primitive cultures and, um, and pedometers. My, one of my friends went to uh, Africa on a missions trip and lost her Fitbit. Um, and, you know, we, of course, made all these uh, jokes about, like, somebody found it and what did they think it was. Fitbit were super nice. They actually sent her another one as a replacement, <laughs> which is really cool. Um, but she said that it was very hard for her to explain to people what she had lost... Um, because they couldn't get the concept of the fact that you had to walk on purpose, that you had to think about walking and building it into your day, but you also needed a device to measure it. That just did not compute. Um, It would be like somebody telling you that you have to build in breathing into your day because movement is so natural for them.
0: Well, I think you brought up that movie, The Gods Must Be Crazy, Mm -hmm. where...
1: They found the coke bottle. The coke
0: bottle falls out of an airplane, mm-hmm. right? and and the guy out in the middle of Africa finds this, and he's like, never, he's like worshiping. Them. What is this I think it thing? Was in, in
1: Australia, yeah, in yeah, Australia, yeah, yeah. I think so.
0: So it needs to be the same. Imagine the person in in Africa, in Africa, which was a very primitive area, right? It was a
1: very primitive area where Africa.
0: they they're gonna find this little Fitbit. It's a tiny little shiny thing with a little light that glows and says. Funny things, <laughs> like mine says, "Move it, move it." Where I, you know, when I push the button, so if they speak, they're going to read this thing until the battery dies, and then they're going. to Oh, what happened? Yeah. So what if there's a whole religion built up around this little thing? Oh,
1: I hope not. I hope not. But yeah. it, it's it's really interesting how you know a lot of the problems we talk about are first world problems. But at the end of the day, we do live in the first world, and we we want to make sure that we live in it better with more responsibility and and more. Um, you know, less less of a print on the environment, more sustainable, more healthy, and hopefully longer.
0: Well, this is unrelated, but didn't somebody else over there lose something electronic? I
1: don't
0: know. Somebody in the same group set their phone...
1: Oh, I don't know about that.
0: Yes, yeah, so somebody set their phone in a safe place on a windowsill yeah. in in the bathroom. And over there, where the, in the place where they were, the bathrooms are just holes in the ground. Like... Sure. On a, on a wooden platform, mm-hmm. and they reached their phone to make sure that it was safe in that spot, and bumped it, and it tumbled, bump, 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 all the way across the floor, underneath the place where somebody else, another woman, was squatting, it, and it plopped down into the toilet.
1: Oh, horrible! And
0: this is uh, like a pit toilet, so oh, um, wow. they abandoned their phone.
1: Of course, yes. you're gonna Of course, you. No gonna. one went
0: in for that. No,
1: no, 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 no. no. Which reminds me, just to, to finish the show on a on a fun note. Uh, Roland and I were in uh, northern Washington in February uh, in Squim, which is really, really north Washington. And we had survival training, uh, during which we discovered that we will die, (laughs) die miserably in the cold, because we cannot light a primitive fire. Um, However, our guides uh, would not die. So hopefully we would have those guides with us if we ever get stranded there. but. We suck at lighting fire. and um, hopefully I feel we can... confident
0: that Tim and Debbie yes. would both, if given longer, would have been able to I'm make sure. a fire.
1: But Roland and I have no survival skills, so yet, yet. <laughs> um, but the coolest thing is these guys' um, outdoor toilet was a log. Like, imagine this giant tree that they had cut. With a hole in the middle, which is like the natural hole when the tree had gone old.
0: Like when you cut it length uh crosswise yeah and then the you let it sit for a while and the interior of the tree will sort of rot out and make a hole
1: yeah so they yeah, had that. so they had one of those things just sitting on a platform however it had a beautiful um actual um 21st century toilet plastic toilet seat on top of it <laughs> so it was i'll see if we can add a picture in the show notes i think that you will um, take a picture yeah i have a okay. picture of it okay. of course i have a picture of the awesome oh, yeah. toilet and they're uh their toilet paper roll was um um hanging on this branch it was uh it was it was pretty impressive that was a great day and uh, whatever confidence we had in our bad acidness and natural living those guys just crushed us just by showing up uh it was cold it was freezing it was snowing it was snowing one of them was barefoot and uh you know here we are standing in our minimal shoes like all, you know, all natural moving Huddled people. around the
0: fire that we can't start.
1: Yes. Huddled around warmth. this poor, poor, poor fire. And this guy's in his bare feet and like a like just like a, a shirt. And um, so I'm trying to ask him. I'm always interested in adaptation and how people adapt to their environment. So I'm trying to ask him kindly like how his feet are and, you know, assuming that he's cold. And I say, so when you go home at night and, you know, you're in your home and it's not snowing on your feet and you're not in the cold, freezing mud, do your feet start to feel different? And without suggesting in any way that his feet are not okay in the moment. So he looks at me and goes, I'm at home here. And I was like, okay, wrong conversation. <laughs> but those guys were awesome. I look forward to meeting them again when we go up there.
0: Yeah. Excellent, excellent.
1: Very cool. All um, right.
0: Oh, um, you guys might have noticed...
1: On our website.
0: ...that our website, we have a new logo. Eat well, move well. And uh, the website's undergone a couple little changes. Very soon, the, uh, the URL which is right now is fitink.com is going to be changing to eatwellmovewell.com, but both will still work. In fact, right now, you can type eatwellmovewell.com, and it will, uh, it will take you yeah. right there. We're really excited about that because it's... Um, we, over time, we originally envisioned our website as sort of an online magazine, and, you know, our focus is really on quality of life yeah right and health and simple ways to do it simple health simple food that's delicious and as you know fitness and movement and exercise that's Easy to um, incorporate into your life and that you will enjoy. So eat well, move well, really, uh, I think really says it Yeah. to us.
1: And so over time, we have shifted from, you know, this online magazine idea more to a taking you through experiences. So hopefully over time, uh, you notice how we're morphing more into uh, giving you things to do and things to improve uh, every day or every week of your life so that you can see you know, stealth sneak health where you need it. Yep. Yeah, Yeah. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with episode 12. Yeah, we
0: started to write down the things that we wanted to talk about, we had more than we could cover just today. So we've got material for the next one already ready to go in case something, unless something else comes up in the news. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, Thank you so right. much
1: for listening and uh, eat well and move well.
0: Thanks, everybody. Bye bye.